You're tuned in to the BBRLA In Conversation With podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the BVRLA in Conversations with podcast series. I'm very happy to say that I am talking to John Davis of AutoTrader today. Say hi, John. Hello, everyone. Happy so, Christmas. It, indeed, we're in the Christmas season, running up towards the end of the year rapidly. I hope everyone is safe and still able to enjoy a festive season in some way, shape or form. We have had a pretty incredible year this year. It's been one of ups and downs. It's been amazing things happening in the used car space. So we thought it would be really interesting to just have a conversation with people who really at the forefront of that and have been seeing those trends on a day to day. And that, of course, is is John and Auto Trader. So I think where I want to kick this off is what has this year been like for you, John? Um, it's a great question. So I think it's been quite an interesting year for the industry and it's been quite an interesting year at Australia. So maybe if I, shall I land the industry question first? Of course. Yeah, because um, like personally, I mean, I've had a baby, so that's probably the major thing to, to flag. <laughs> but yeah, on, on the uh, on the industry side, I, I think it's been fascinating because I think probably given what happened with COVID back last year, 2020, you kind of you accept that that year was going to be chaos and there was going to be all sorts of changes in the market and so on. This year's it felt to us been a, a probably more pivotal year in the long-term structural changes in the market that we're seeing. I mean, probably the biggest example of that, I would say that EV is has completely exploded this year. And that would be one of the big takeaways, I think, that we've seen started to move along that adoption curve on EV. And there's been a few big triggers this year, the 2030 announcement, the the, the big thing we've seen that drove the greatest sustained spike was the fuel crisis in, what was that, September, October time. So a huge uplift in that. So, yeah, I guess that, what one of my big takeaways would be that seems to have gone gone mainstream in a way that when I was back at Nissan 10 years ago doing the Nissan Leaf and we were selling one car a week. So it feels like it's really started to change. And, and I think there's I think it's been one EV launched every 10 days, Tom, this year. So Wow. It's not bad. I guess the, the other two big things for us that I think I would reflect on, one was more of car buying is being done digitally, being mm-hmm. driven for sure by the new entrants, but also I think everyone has had to respond to the market and, and retailers by, by almost have done very well. And then the other has to be related to the new car supply and then the impact of that on the market more generally and, and quite extraordinary uh, pricing position on used cars that doesn't show any sign of slowing down. So I guess they would probably be my three takeaways for this year as to what's what's changed i suppose well as as usual you sort of dropped three massive knowledge bombs in 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 quick succession there which i'm quite keen to unpack so the sort of structural changes the move towards ev obviously really encouraging to see the thing that always comes up with our members is that they seeing that happen from the new car side with benefit and kind and all the benefits you can get there and how the proposition really seems to work and obviously 10 new a uh, new ev every 10 days we've seen the market you know there's there's cars which you wouldn't have thought sort of offerings and segments which wouldn't have existed at the start yeah, it's wonderful to see the question always circles back to the used market and i've been tracking your industry uh insights your, your that you publish monthly and it's 
it's been a, a tale of two stories almost from what I can see is that volume EV seem to have been performing quite strong, but there seems to be challenges in the premium side. I don't know if that's something which you see continuing or catching up or. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on, Tom. So I think there's almost two parts to this. One has been the trend that's probably happened for the majority of the year, which is as you've illustrated. And then the second is what's happened since the fuel crisis. And they are it feels like two stages to me. So on that first point, you're absolutely right. We, we've seen for probably oh, no, 18 months, the volume side of EV was starting to stabilise on the used car market. We had demand growing and supply growing, and it, it was it was OK. It was it was not as good as we'd have hoped it to be, but it was it was OK enough to go. Yeah, we've got enough confidence that that part of the market is sort of working. And I guess for your members, things around re- residual values were starting to stabilise. You've got more data in the market, so it makes the models a lot more robust. On the premium side, real challenges because even without the grant, you were bringing new cars into the market priced pretty aggressively. Manufacturers are trying to make them competitive with heavy finance deposit contributions on the new car side or strong leasing terms on the on the used car side, on the on the fleet side. And that was then presenting some quite attractive new car offers. And at the same time, brands were pushing quite hard with EVs, if you think back 12, 12, 12 18, 24 months. And that was putting a huge amount of pressure on the nearly new market because retailers mm. were sat there with pre-regs that were deeply uncompetitive against or ex demos that you'd be looking at a new i don't know i'm not going to select a brand but you could imagine what i'm thinking here any premium ev you're looking at a new car and it might be six thousand pounds down six hundred pounds a month and you look at a nearly new one and it's six thousand pounds down eight hundred pounds a month and everyone be like there's no reason in the earth that any consumer would ever go i'll go with that um so that was the position for most of the year and that's still to to a large extent true i think what's happened since the fuel crisis is and I guess by extension with the semiconductor thing has been because you've had that constraint on the new car side, actually, if consumers want an EV, a premium EV today, they might have to look at that nearly new car mm-hmm. because the new one you can't get for 12 months. So actually, that has helped stabilize some of that. And at the same time, you've seen this enormous explosion in demand on new and used EVs, and that's helped bolster the used car market in the last couple of months to the extent that actually we've got less used EVs on the site now than we did a couple of months ago because all of them have been swallowed up or not all of them a proportion of them have been swallowed up by consumer demand so we are still concerned about EV from a used car point of view for the structural reasons that you've outlined but actually the last couple of months have have been a better picture does that make sense makes total sense but my my immediate question to you is is that a sticking plaster is it just the the sort of semiconductor shortage is giving us breathing room to maybe try and get the market more stable is that as soon as that pressure eases it's all going to fall apart like a house of cards it's a great question and the honest answer is i'm got a clue um but the, the 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 more the more robust answer to that would be i definitely think that that is a market force that's helping used cars right now and yeah. and particularly for the reasons you've just alluded to that we know that demand is growing quite a lot which is good we know that supply over the next couple of years is going to grow hugely because of all these cars that we're just flooding into the market are going to come into the used market. And what we'd started to see as soon as that those growth curves were there, we had this market dynamic between nearly new and new not really working. So actually, this dislocation at the moment is very, very helpful and mm-hmm. gives lenders, leasing companies, retailers a chance to get their head around used EVs how to price them, how to source them, what to do with them. And I think we've probably got a golden window here to try and really nail it because we've got this 
not perfect storm because it's not a perfect storm by any means because i think we'd much rather the cars were here but we've mm. got a chance to set the market up right over the next decade whereas if we'd have pushed them really aggressively into pre-reg i think that would have really been quite damaging and we started to see it like you remember tom we were flagging to you january february this year we're really worried uh, yes. about where this is going we're less worried now but i still i still think that broad concern is there longer term which is a long answer of saying we've got a chance to get it right i think that's a, an incredible opportunity and so sort of a real silver lining to, to to these challenges with the with the supply side and i guess that immediately brings me back into the new ways of doing things you mentioned so pricing and the challenges there and i think as people go online uh, more digitally in this business I'm interested to know how do we bed in those learnings? How do we make it that the market is strong enough to when that window closes, it's all okay? Yeah. And I think, I do think if you, I'll answer that in maybe two ways. The first is to say that I do think retailers, particularly through the COVID crisis and the entrance from some of the most well capitalized brands we've ever seen, Kazoo, Cinch, and, and even Carzam have raised recently. Retailers have had to compete on that and and the benefit of them having to work from home and so on is that some of the ways that we've always done things, we've had to change. I'll give you one example that I think is helpful. When I was out as a zone manager in a brand, one of the classic things that you would talk to your retailers about on used cars is stocking policies. So after 30 days, you need to adjust the price and after 60 days, you adjust the price and after 90 days, you adjust the price. In the current landscape of what's happened this year, that just has not worked because the, the market's going the other way every few weeks the prices were going up not down um, mm. and so you, you the the idea that you'd be able to use your gut instinct to price which has been i guess traditionally the way you'd price a vehicle hasn't been enough because the market's moving so fast so i think what we've had the chance to do and retailers have i think done very well is starting to use a lot more data to work out a the cars you source but then also B, how you price them. And, and and all of that is positive from a profitability point of view. It also means you take away some of the mystique around used car pricing and it just becomes like any other asset that you might sell. You use supply and demand to work out in your local area, what's the price that you need to put that car into market at? And so I think, I think I'm answering your question here, Tom, by saying I actually think that a lot of the practices that retailers have built up over the last couple of years will stand them in very good stead to take advantage of that window. Does that make sense? Mm. Makes complete sense. I guess the question for me is, is that change bedded in? You know, if we go back to people going back in person, the market changes, supply supply frees up. Are we digital for good? I mean, I know from a personal perspective, I doubt I'll ever stop ordering from Amazon yeah. uh, to the degree that I adopted during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. I think that's a change for good for me. Um, and I just wonder around the car buying process, are there are there consumers? And I know you talk to consumers a lot directly. Is, is there desire to get back to kicking tires, uh, sniffing out deals in, in, in used car lots? Or is it is it digital for good and sort of one click deals? It's a great question. So I think the data more broadly, not just from the automotive sector, would has been that we've seen this enormous swing towards online as a percentage of the overall retail market. So buying goods and services at home. And that has... Uh, dropped back a little bit, but it's still considerably ahead of where we would have been had normality continued. So I think that is useful because it's wider economic metrics that show that there's almost behavioural change that's happened structurally. And it's happened in the UK, it's happened in the US, it's happened in most Western economies, I imagine all over the world. Um, so that would say that there's some some of those elements have stayed more than they would ever have done had COVID not happened. 
And in all of our available data on the car buying process, we've seen exactly that. So every time we survey consumers, like you know we do, Tom, we are getting more people more open to doing more of the car buying journey online. Now, that's not to say that everyone will, of course, and it's not to say that they'll do all of their jobs online, but it is to say that they're more comfortable. So to give you a few numbers, I think the last time we asked consumers if we presented with like a plausible scenario, would you consider buying a car online? It was somewhere in the region of 72% of people said that they would be open to it subject to certain conditions. A couple of years ago, that would probably be 40 or 50%. So you've, you've, you've seen considerable growth. And even through COVID, I think last year that was 60%, the year before it was maybe 50%. So you can see every year, one in wow. 10 customers are now more open to doing more online. So the question of whether they ultimately return back to those um sort of the tire kicking model i think is a is an interesting one but all of the data we're seeing would say that that trend is carrying on a pace and hey like kazoo cinch and others and and some of our bigger retailer groups are communicating to customers that you can do that in a way that we never have before so if you put that amount of advertising money in as well as a, a sort of societal trend it feels to me it's somewhat inexorable that change what do you think am i, I allowed to ask a- you questions don i think i am <laughs> I mean, I think it's one of those ones where exactly as you say, we're probably not going to stay at the level of the pandemic. There will be people who for this, is, this has been very painful um, or, you know, this goes against their innate nature. Um, you know, I know family members who are not great fans of technology and sort of uh, really want to get back out there. Um, but I think as you say, for the it makes sense to me that the majority of these patterns are going to get built in. It's very difficult when you have increased uh, ease in your life to go backwards. And you think of the amount of time that, I mean, as again, from a personal example, how much time I save by ordering things online. It's not because I'm a big fan of Amazon and want to sort of fund rockets and things like that. It's that, yeah. you know, the pure amount of time that you can save and you think, if previously, when I was looking for a used car pre, uh, pre-pandemic, I went to maybe five, six, seven dealerships and I thought, because I wanted to look at the product, I wanted to touch and feel. I think now that took me a long time. It took me weeks. In the end, oh. I bought one because I, I think I'd irritated my wife so much by 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 sort of, well, I just want to check out this other dealership. I just, uh, they might be have a good deal. I might be able to negotiate something. Um, so... I think once those things are removed and you feel that your fear is being forced out of you, I think a lot of people will, will bid in. Yeah. And that'll probably be something which we, we, we see for absolutely ages to come and across a lot of different areas. I guess the other question that also then comes with this for me is how those interactions happen, like things like finance. You know, people yeah. have different barometers for different things. They might be comfortable with getting the car or they might be comfortable getting their finance online, but not the car. And are you seeing those sort of slightly nuanced behaviors on the site or is it universal? No, that's a great that's a great question. And exactly to your point, we have done lots of research talking about kind of the jobs that people need, need to do to buy a car. Because mm. I guess the la- language you could maybe use historically in automotive is there's a, like a very obvious customer journey. But often, to your example, you'll sort of snack, won't you? You'll do a bit of research online and then historically you might go into a dealership and it takes weeks and you do these little jobs. And all of those jobs are probably best viewed in isolation in a way to that question of are you comfortable doing that bit online? So to your point, probably for years, people have been comfortable looking at cars on Australia or other websites and seeing what's going on. That that's 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 been there for years. What's probably more op- people are more open to now is probably doing a, a sort of 360 of that car or 
uh, having a sort of uh, video call with a retailer where they talk you around that vehicle, completing a finance application online. And there's some of the more uh, structural bits that maybe would have always anchored you to go into a showroom, like a test drive. We've definitely seen in the last couple of years in the research we've done the the requirement of consumers to feel like they need to test drive reducing for two reasons. One is because um, retailers particularly, but also brands are are communicating more overtly about things like money day, money money back guarantees, which takes away that hurdle of, oh, well, what happens if the car's rubbish? I've got no recourse. Something was already actually there, but they're communicating it better has been to communicate about that. And then the other element is, I think the pandemic has shown that you can buy a car and actually most of the time it's probably fine. And if you've got all the, if 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 you're seeing online a, an advert talking about you can buy used cars, and it's had a 300 point check. You've got confidence in these other assurances that retailers or brands or leasing companies offer that mean that the need to go in and test drive just to check it reduces. So I think to your point, all of the jobs are slightly different and some of them are much higher than others. But even things that we'd expect us to take longer to be right online only, if you will, like test drive, we thought that would take years. We're seeing that speed up rapidly because of these kind of assurances that brands, retailers and and others are communicating on those products. So, yeah, the trend for us seems to not be stopping and on the particularly those more complex elements like test drive and inspection, consumers are more comfortable than ever before. Is that also just something to do with the technology? Like cars are really great these days. Like even, you know, four or five year old cars, are you have so many fewer issues than you did before. I mean, I think, and as the car buyers become younger, those people who have long memories of, of certain brands or certain product just being rubbish and yeah. never working, yeah. continually breaking down. I think those memories are fading because as far as I'm aware, almost everything is, is pretty darn good right now. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's definitely true on the new car side. I mean, it, uh, when I started the industry 10, 11, 12 years ago, you knew which cars were a bit rubbish. Now, now you really don't. Uh, there's very, very few poor quality cars come to market. So that then flows through to your point, Tom, to the used car market. And I think there's definitely levels of confidence. There. I think perhaps as you move into the older age categories, you'd have less mm -hmm. confidence that that was true because you're dealing with the sort of legacy of maybe slightly less well-built cars from years ago and so on. But again, that's where actually the level of uh, checking on a vehicle before it's listed online or more visibility that you're showing about the, what the car doesn't or you like actually we've seen a lot more retailers be a lot more confident to highlight what problems are with the car within mm -hmm. the car that you're buying. And that builds trust. Like sometimes I think your concern online is you look at an advert and think, well, it's too good to be true. Whereas if that advert says, oh, well, there's a bit of an issue here. There's a ding on the back of the car here. You go, well, at least they're being honest. So I can trust them. And actually, I don't need to go and look at that car because they've told me what the problem is. And I can tell they're being honest because they're telling me the problems. So those things, I think, garner trust. And therefore, you're more likely to just go, can I be bothered to drive 30 miles to look at that car? Probably be fine. And to be honest, they offer me a seven day, 14 day money back guarantee. Probably fine, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'll see it on the truck. <laughs> exactly. And, and and the other um, read across, I would say that the US has done. So the most impressive retailer, I think, in the US at the moment, or one of the most impressive is CarMax. Mm. And they have, I think they're now at 30 day uh, money back guarantee out there. Wow. Now, I imagine almost no one takes a car back after 29 days and says, oh, it wasn't what I expected. But what it gives you is the most extraordinary level of confidence that you're confident that CarMax know that that car's good enough, you're never going to give it back. And so actually, whether it's 14 days or 30 days, I don't think it matters, but that like extension to 30 days is quite a confidence-affirming thing as a consumer. You go, well, 
so they can't like if if you think oh, you're a bit suspicious oh like that car's got a problem it's going to appear in the first 30 days so you know you've got that confidence to do that and therefore you're much more likely to pick it up from what well, i think they call it curbside but you know what i mean like they, they can they can you can go and get it from the store but you can get it from driven to your home it's it's great so i think that has definitely we've seen in the uk more and more and the more we push that the more likely consumers are going to be able to buy online and if they do more people will buy so the whole market gets better yeah, and I guess the other element to this is sort of the money back, but also I've seen sort of warranty products extending, which I think is a, is a, is a great uh, point of confidence, and including sort of built-in warranties from retailers, etc. That surely must also be a factor in the confidence. Sure. Yeah, and I think sort of tying that back into our earlier question around electric vehicles and the used market, that definitely feels like something that we'll have to do because mm. there is more concerns as a consumer and all of the polling that we've done would illustrate this, that if you're trying to think about buying a used electric car, you've got to think about all those other things we've just talked about, buying a used car, but also then, well, how much is left in that battery? Um, so the more we can do around whether it's warranties or consistent, and this is perhaps something for government more widely to mandate, like battery health checks or monitors to give visibility on how much charge there is, that again, it's the same principle really. It's just giving com confidence and trust to consumers and retailers that A, you know what you're stocking and selling, but then you can communicate to the customer, yeah, that battery is not completely full. It's got 87% of what it used to have, but that's still 100 miles and you only drive to Tesco's every every week. So you're probably fine. And you've got that customer confidence enough to go, yeah, I'll make that purchase. I think if you don't have that, then the used electric market in time does become more challenging because you've just got more questions you're trying to answer. And therefore, as soon as you improve, in, increase cognitive load, people are more likely to drop out of the funnel. So I think that's something we can definitely push as an industry more broadly. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's all just about building that framework of confidence and support so the customer feels uh, empowered. Do you see any difference in trends and sort of willingness to buy digitally with electric vehicles versus ICE vehicles? Or it, would that be too influenced by the age of the stock and that, you know, obviously ICE is much kind of much longer tail where people probably quite rightly are more reticent or yeah, I think that's very perceptive. We we do see um, electric vehicle customers are more have higher propensity to buy, but they also, if you plotted them demographically, they tend to be wealthier people who'd be more likely to buy in any sector. So it it that that demographic effect distorts your number. And and the best way to detect that is take a brand like Tesla. Pretty much everyone buys online, and mm -hmm. you you could imagine your typical Tesla customer also probably buys lots of other things online because they are they like to be at the start of new things and they like technology and that kind of thing. So. It's actually quite hard, I would suggest, to see that in the used market. And I think when we do it, the sample sizes probably aren't enough to give us confidence. But we don't see any drastic difference in the used market, EV versus ICE. But certainly in the new car market, you do see that uh, trend, as you've illustrated. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting one. And unpacking that consumer confidence and messaging with EVs, I know you guys have done a lot of work on your site this year around sort of information for consumers. What what do you think we need to do on that journey to take hold the hands from an ICE customer and say, we need you to go on this journey to EV. Let's take you on it. Why, why don't, rather than rattling off 20 things I think we need to do, why don't I give you one that I think as an industry we need sure. to do a whole load better? Charge speeds. Yeah. Complex. So, for example, on site, we show on every electric vehicle, uh, we show uh, a couple of bits of information about the range of that car and how quickly it can charge. I I think we need a common language to explain charge speeds that could help the whole industry be able to communicate better. And so th at the moment, we're doing lots of testing around things like how many miles charge can you get in 15 minutes? 
Mm -hmm. So, for example, MPG is so anchored in the human psyche to go, well, I know that I get 35 or 45 or 55. And, and everyone knows you don't get that, but you know it's an anchor to be able to enable comparison. Yeah. I think the challenge with um, charging is you're thinking, well, is it a seven kilowatt? Is it a 20 watt kilowatt? Uh, or, and then you've got amps rolling around and then people are like, oh, is it a rapid charge? And, and, and has my car got the right capability to do that thing? That's complicated. Yeah. So I think what we are trying to think about doing is how we convey very simply to consumers, what's a standard way of being able to compare charging, probably on the kind of standard charge that that car offers, and then the, the fastest charge that that car offers. So, for example, with Tesla, it would be with the superchargers. So you yeah. might say that it might be, and I, I'm giving dummy numbers here, but you see the point, that on the slow charge, you might be able to get 15 miles per 15 minutes or something. Whereas with the fastest charge you could ever do, you might get 100 miles in 15 minutes or something like that. And therefore, as a consumer, you can rapidly evaluate across cars what their capability looks like in these kind of two normal scenarios, one of which is if you plug in at home, basically, and the other is if you go to a rapid charger out in the wild, probably at a service station. Yeah. Does that make sense? So uh, there's plenty more we can do, total cost of ownership, blah, 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 blah. But I think something like charge time is something that is a good example of where if we normalise the language, that's another barrier we're helping to erode. Well, that opens a little worms, John, because, you know, you're not a charging company. We're not. Uh, you know, that, that's not your part of the industry. So it, it, to, to try and set that up is a real challenge. And you've never had to be a fuel retailer and tell them how to how to communicate their messaging there. No. And, and to be honest, it's not necessarily. So I think we don't necessarily view ourselves as being the only people who will do that. And, and we think that the government will will help with this. DFT and others will definitely be there. I guess what we we are conscious of is our our influence in in the consumer market that if we mm. put something on our site it's very likely to become the de facto standard because we've got over 75 percent of the minutes on automotive sites without being arrogant that means you've got a responsibility to communicate better and we're not doing a very good job at the moment so that that don't don't misread my sort of confidence in our audience to say we're doing a good job we're not um, and that's why we think that we have a responsibility to think how cleanly we can explain it to consumers and it's not like we haven't got the data the data exists it's just how you communicate the data sets in a consistent format i think that that is where we perceive our role to be if that makes sense that does make sense and i think that you know helps explode a bit of a myth for me because you think ev in, in the time i've you know the sort of last five years where people working on the sort of transitions and in various guises it's always been presented as sort of automotive this massive powerhouse industry and energy this massive powerhouse energy and sort of uh, coming together and what that really means and that's a sort of clash of the titans and who comes out on top uh, yet to be seen but i think they're parts of it where it's not necessarily that at all. It's just this is the area where we have power, we have uh, influence and space, and this is what we can do in that space. And as you say, as long as you have the data, which I hadn't really sort of spooled that out in my mind, you know, as long as you have the data, it doesn't really matter what others are doing as long as you're giving the best journey for your customers. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, if you speak, I don't know, Tom, whether you drive an EV at the moment, but if you speak to most electric vehicle drivers at the moment, or particularly those who've bought in the last couple of years, they tend to be very detail-oriented people who mm -hmm. will often be able to track at home on their smartphone how what their kilowatt usage is <laughs> per hour. Most consumers don't think like that. So we have to, the people that have bought already, they've had to do a lot of work. It's like the people who are buying heat pumps at the moment. Like they're they're really keen and they learn about it and they get detailed on it and they're they're willing to put in a lot of effort to make that jump. 
for the next big, the early and late majority, if you like, on the bell curve, we're going to have to do the work for them and explain to them what it is. So, yes, right now, a lot of people who drive electric are very aware of what they're spending on energy. I, I would suggest if you spoke to most people um, who drive a vehicle, exactly what energy uses they have each month they probably wouldn't know they probably know the cost but they probably wouldn't know their energy usage so the idea that people have a rubric in their mind about kilowatt hour or any of these kind of metrics most people don't and don't know what it means so that's where i think the the language that i think most people understand is around distance everyone knows what a mile or a kilometer looks like and time they're metrics mm. that you use all the time so I, that's where and and to be honest we'll see whether it tests well in the market and it may well be i'll come back on a podcast in a year and say i was completely wrong um, <laughs> and i'll be very comfortable to do so because if the consumer says something different we need to change but you can see the point i'm making that i think that's where we've got to try and use language that is digestible by the common person rather than by someone who's very detailed into energy and so on and that's where actually we do need to work with the energy markets to try and, and and to be fair energy markets have done well on this over the last couple of years communicating energy prices and things they've they've started to think about different ways of communicating their propositions um and we need to do the same on 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 electric i feel yeah and i wonder if, if this is another one where we might have seen a step change this year I, given unfortunate circumstances i think everyone's been looking at their energy bills in a little bit more detail than yeah. they were at the start of the year sure. uh, given given the energy crisis and we might see we might see that bed in that people start thinking, well, previously I, I, I didn't pay as much attention as I should in that can transition into a sort of more energy focused economy. Yeah. And, and Tom, to be honest, when you buy a petrol car, you don't have to think about energy. Yeah. When you buy an electric car, you have to think about energy by its very nature, because if you buy an electric car, the next thing you're going to do is or probably before that you're thinking, well, I need a charger at my home if I've got off street parking or if not. So it's a question that the energy sector and the automotive sector have been smushed together by electric cars and they have to be because as a consumer you're forced to make this question guess question in your head we're doing it at the moment in our house oh we need a charger all oh, right where do we go to now you never think that when you think which fuel station to go to i don't care whether they go to bp or shell i don't matter i'll go wherever wherever i need it whereas when you get that it forces that question and then naturally as a consumer you go all oh, right so i need that charger at home all oh, right what about smart charging and then you start going down that mm. journey of all oh, right yeah can i feed stuff back to the grid or like and you end up on that journey quite naturally because you're buying a car which has never happened before and so that to me is the change that's meant that these two massive sectors are more likely to be like and hey octopus energy company now sell electric cars so you can see that the energy sector is is and rightly so heading more in this direction bp bought charge master why Again, just, there's opportunity there, isn't there? Yeah, and I guess and this sort of opens up another question. So we see in the new car front more and more sort of bundled product and offerings, etc. But are, are the big players in the used market sort of waking up and smelling the coffee on those, on those kind of opportunities and thinking, you know, this is, this is a whole proposition? Because even if we talk about automotive and energy, when we talk automotive, you're immediately thinking sort of the front end, the new end. And yet in the UK, there's such a strong and deep powerful used market contingent really big retailers massively and i think that's you've definitely seen the new entrants both come to market i think kazoo announced yesterday with on the day we're recording that they've got a new after sales product in market cinch have mm -hmm. cinch care it, it, and if you go to many many of the retailers they'll have their own product of after sales messaging and rightly so and and again without harping too much on about electric vehicles you can see the merit of communicating that even more so on electric because of the concerns that people might have around battery health or whatever it might mm. be. So yeah, the, the concept of bundling 
subscription leasing, very small at the moment subscription. And if the price point was right, I could definitely see that growing over time. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably had on or you will have on some of those subscription players. Feels like an area that will grow as long as the economics are right. Yeah. I think that's, again, a, a question is, I guess, of a, a timely question. We saw an interest rate rise uh, this week. Lots been written about in the press. And I guess this comes back to your, your last We sort of circling slowly back to the last of your three initial points. And this is about the amazing used car prices. And you said quite straightforwardly that you don't see that changing anytime soon with the supply chains. You know, I know there's been some pieces about the interest rate and the impact there. Keen to just unpack your thinking a little bit more about that behind that statement. Yeah, sure. So I think I'm a big admirer of people who go back to first principles and fundamentals on topics. And in my mind, pricing is just a function of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. That is crudest form. So the question I think you have to ask around pricing is not what's happened historically. It's what do we actually realistically expect is going to happen on the supply side and on the demand side. So firstly, on the supply side, as far as I'm aware, unless you've got some buried down your uh, buried down your sort of property, most people don't seem to think there's going to be a flood of chips coming through on the new car side. So and that looks like it's going to be a six, nine, 12 month horizon, according to everything that every OM is saying. So on the new car side, we're not going to have a flood of supply anytime soon. The second point I would make that's directly related to that on supply is we've just had some fallow years on new car supply. What that means in the next couple of years is the two to three and then three to three, four and then four to five year old markets will be smaller than they have been before in terms of the car park. So in the sort of traditional space where franchise retailers sits and where RVs are set, that constraint is, is a long term constraint because we can't recover back the cars that were, weren't registered, if you like, last year. So to me, the next couple of years in terms of supply horizon on new and nearly new cars, it's all pretty light. And so next question is, well, what's happening to demand? Economy looks OK, unless inflation gets completely out of control um, and you've got a real problem, but the, the, the base rate rose to, to mitigate that. I don't see demand dropping off a cliff. And so in that context, I think it's very hard to see anything other than strong period of pricing. If that makes sense. So my broad hypothesis, go back to fundamentals. Supply is going to be constrained. Demand should be OK. Pricing will be fine. That's really interesting. And I guess that's where you get some of the statements that mean that we, we might never or sort of at least in this longer cycle, go back to pre-pandemic pricing levels that we in a, yeah. a new world. Uh, it feels very hard to see how you get back there if I'm honest. And I think the other thing that I'm sure you've got um, people listening to this who are looking after things like risk asset. And of course, I understand the caution when you've got a, an asset book and you're trying to work out what the valuations of those things are. But I would come back to that fundamental supply and demand point that in the new and nearly new and used market for the next three to five years, to give you a statistic, I think I'm right in saying that in 2024, there will be about 37% less three to five year old cars than there are today, or I think it's 2019. So you'd have to have a demand drop of more than that to see a reason wow. why prices would drop. And, and this is my point that the fundamentals, I think, give you confidence that the long term horizon looks solid. And therefore, it feels from if you're looking at risk asset or RV management or whatever you're doing, that there's the fundamentals look robust. And I think it's always hard. And of course, people look back at history and say, well, it's always done this. It's always gone back to normal. 
the sort of regression to the mean logic <laughs> that that is true historically but we're in a market that we've never seen before so we can't apply old rules to a different scenario where the, i think the fundamentals are different um i mean uh, that's very yeah. well said that's yeah. very well said and i think it's a we must always circle back to those and i think people forget that we we came from a historic high and it's not come down in one year it's been eaten away with the Brexit pressures and others and they you know we had fallow years and that's always I think must be built in yeah and I think the the, the pricing horizon that is of most relevant to your members will be that younger used up to five-year-old yeah. stock yeah. in that market so my point then you've got less new cars coming in which flows through into the used car market at the same time as we know independents are trying to take more into that space and we've got two of the best, most well-capitalized businesses we've ever seen in UK automotive in exactly the same space. They are three big pressures on the same segment of stock where the stock volume is compressing. That That is a positive force on pricing at its most wow. fundamental level. Wow. On that very positive note, with my eye on the time that we're running, running down, what's your big insight you gave us at the start three brilliant insights into 2021 looking to 2022 john i think you've given us a great idea about the used pricing but what broader trends structural changes things we should be excited about or scared of what would you what would you want to flag up to me so i think there would actually be the very same three themes that we've seen in 21 but i think we'll probably see speed up in 22 so i think oh, wow. the, the first point is well not necessarily speed up on pricing, those fundamentals I've just talked about, they're going to bring to bear on the market for the next three or four years. That's not just 22. That's a, that's a horizon point mm. that if you account for this fact that this car flow mirrors what happened in the new car market, we've got a really interesting period of shorter supply in that in that younger used category. What do you do with that? You need to use data to source and price the vehicles that you have, whether you're a leasing company, a lender or a retailer or a manufacturer. Second point I'll probably go to is around um, more cons consumers doing more digitally. That seems to be a trend that won't stop. And mm. I guess the challenge for us as an industry is to make sure that we don't think too territorially about digital retailing. For example, let's say I'm a brand or a, or a leasing company. I could have the most amazing experience on my site, but if it doesn't join up with the retailer's site or maybe Autotrader or somewhere else, that's not going to be much good. If you reserve a car on the retailer side and it doesn't come through to Autotrader or the brand site or the leasing company site, that looks rubbish. So we're going to need to work in partnership as an industry to make that experience better for consumers. And the benefit is the more digital retailing that happens, more efficiency is found. Less double keying, more speed of turn, consumers have an easier journey and so on. And then the final pillar, I think, is electric. So new cars will continue to race. We'll no doubt in time see more new entrants come in uh, from uh, China, Vietnam, wherever. That'll be exciting. Crucially for us as an industry, we need to take this opportunity to take advantage of the gap we've got right now on new cars, on EVs with used cars, and, and make sure that as an industry, we hold the EVs to where we want them to be, rather than sort of going back to bad practices of just reducing price to get the evs out the door and actually demand's growing so we're in a good place so i think that's my three points use data to source and price enable digital retailing and then electric is continuing to explode but let's make sure we do it with data and and, and not get too spooked john it's been an absolute pleasure um huge amount of wisdom there in a very short period of time i hope you have a fantastic christmas you stay safe uh, thank you and to you enjoy your christmas holidays and hope you get away